Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock, along with the scout, Matt Williamson. Happy Thursday, Twitter Thursday here on Locked On NFL. Matt and I will answer your Twitter questions. There are some issues to get into first, as there are just about every day, Matt. There's a new note from the league, and we're getting closer to things actually happening on the field. And now it is a memo from the commissioner that says, quote, This will advise that beginning tomorrow, June 5th, coaching staffs may be among the employees returning to your facility. As has been emphasized in previous advice on reopening facilities, this may occur only if your club has otherwise received necessary permission from the state and local governments to reopen its facility. As stated in my memo on May 28, members of the coaching staff will count toward the maximum number of permissible club employees in the facility. Beginning tomorrow, clubs may increase the number of employees in the facility to a total of 100, subject again to state and local regulation and implementation of protocols developed under the leadership of Dr. Sills. I don't even know who Dr. Sills is. Do you know who Dr. Sills is? Man? No, I don't, but good for him. He must okay. be somebody important. Yeah, league doctor, I guess. Um, coaches and other football staff, particularly those who may be in a higher risk category or who have concerns about their own health conditions, are expected to speak with club medical staff or personal physician about any special precautions or other accommodations. Um Anyway, COVID-19 testing for the coaching staff and other football personnel prior to players returning to club facilities. So, yeah, testing, implementation, and still only 100 total people in each facility, but coaches and staffs allowed to return to work at the office Friday. Yeah, and that's a, a wonderful start. And you need more than 100 to make an organization go. But um, also, it's kind of interesting, too. Not every team has their entire organization in one building. I mean, so if one team has like ticket sales downtown and their, uh, you know, facility in a suburb or something like that, I wonder how that works. But obviously this is very encouraging. And just from a football perspective, if you bring in, you know, your cap guy, your GM, a handful of front office scouting types and a coaching staff of 20 to 30 guys, give or take, something like that, that takes a, a chunk out of your hundred, but not everything. And you can start installing offenses and doing football things as a group, which is a wonderful sign. Yeah, Bruce Arians was uh, on a conference call with reporters today, and he talked about uh, how they might have an opportunity. They said they should be ready to go do some kind of training camp at their facility on July 21st when it's supposed to open for the Bucks. But he said maybe the week before, July 15th or so, they'll be able to have a quarterback school or a rookie school too. So we might get some sort of an ability for some early coaching to happen on field at facilities before training camp goes even, which would help those rookies, I'm sure. Yeah, and that's sort of mixed reviews because what I had heard yesterday was uh, there aren't going to be many camps, but the next time you'll see football will be training camp, but maybe they'll open them a little earlier. Or maybe that's what coach Arians is talking about too. Like maybe we'll be able to get, you know, a, a smaller version of camp in first, a quarterback school, a rookie camp, something like that. Still, all that's to be determined. Um, I had thought that the, the mandate was we aren't going to do any mini camps. The next time players will report will be training camp which frankly isn't that far away. Like it's early June now 
And in a normal year, this is that time when you hang with your family and all that, but it goes quick. I mean, before you know it, camp's around the corner. In Texas, I read that there's potential that they would be allowed to have 50% capacity at live events. So, which, I mean, that's much more than I would have expected to happen right away, potentially in week one, having a half full stadium. Right. I mean, that's, again, awesome news. And 90% of what comes across the wire now is all very encouraging. I don't think I'd want to be the ushers, let alone the people organizing. How do you Mm, get 50% in and where do they all sit? And in the fourth quarter, when it's a 2021 game and you need the opponent to miss a field goal, is there going to be six feet of distancing? <laughs> you know, like yeah. I not after 20 beers, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, who knows? And maybe that's not as important anymore. I mean, uh, I'm great with being aggressive and doing all the above. The one note I did want to make, and this is a more of a personal level, and this also came from Roger Goodell, is training camps will all be at the facility. No one's allowed to go away. And again, I am really looking through biased eyes because the Steelers have gone to St. Vincent's College in Latrobe for 55 straight years now. But their logic is they don't want people uh, commuting as much. Well, like in the Steelers case, and I'm pretty sure they petitioned the league you know, directly saying, well, we're a little different than everybody else. They live in this tiny little school, you know, little college on campus, and nobody goes anywhere where if you have it at the facility, they transport back and home, back and forth from home every day. So it's kind of like killing the idea. Yeah. But I guess that was shot down. And the Steelers also share a facility with Pitt, who's having their training camp at the same time. So there's going to be more bodies in the same place than there would be normally. It's bonkers. And, you know, my, my co host on the Steeler Nation radio also had the host, had the point of, well, what about like the Giants and Jets? You know, like that's kind of ground zero for the disease right now. You're going to make them stay at home? Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, like there's no still a to lot me. to work out. And one thing that surprised me about this memo is that the league recognizes that some state and local governments aren't allowing this to happen, but some coaches right. can still go to their facilities. And prior to this, everything was equal footing. So if, if nobody can go to their facility or if one team can't go to their facility, then nobody can go to their facility. So this has kind of changed that. And I'm sure it will, I'm sure they won't let anybody practice if one team can't practice, but, and I don't even know how much of an, a huge advantage it is for coaches to be working at the facility instead of home. If there's no players around anyway. Right. And some there's some other teams that come to mind too, like green Bay is sort of like the Steelers, but they're, uh, like a mile down the road from their facility. And obviously it's a small town environment and that's why they ride their bikes back and forth. So does that count to being at the facility? Cause you're a mile down the road at that small school. I forget the name of the school. Are they going to have to do it at the facility or like Dallas? I mean, Dallas in July and August is rather warm. So they put everybody on a plane and take them to California and do training camp there where kind of like my Steeler argument they're just stuck there. You know, nobody's going back and forth. You know, it's one trip and you're there. Instead, you're going to have them practice in the heat and go back and forth to school to home. I don't know. I hope the league reconsiders that because it's kind of not the same for all 32. 
it would almost be better if you have a satellite training camp and the players don't leave and everyone's just pretty much right. locked in and, and, and they stay there. And, and you don't I mean, let it, any of that out if there was some sort of a breakout within the team. You don't let other stuff come in either. You should see St. Vincent's. I mean, it's a very, very small school. You can pretty much see the whole campus from wherever you're at. And there's one dorm that's the players. There's one dorm that's us media. There's this one dorm that's basically coaches and whatnot. And we all see each other at, you know, at the cafeteria and on the fields. And if they don't allow the fans in, it's like as quarantined as you can get for 200 people. The, the Cowboys one is interesting, too, because right. I didn't really think about the heat that they will have to practice in, which is the reason they go to they California. Or yeah, <laughs> right. that, that's another interesting angle there. Uh, man, I remember growing up doing two a days football practice. And I'm talking mm-hmm. Central California, where it gets a lot hotter than it does on the coast, and a hundred degree double two a days. And uh, actually, you know what's funny? I just this is completely off topic. I just saw an article yeah. recently where some scientists broke it down. I don't know if it was like this for you when you were practicing football, but the coach always told you when you were tired, you put your hands on your head, and it's supposed to help you breathe better, help you get more oxygen. And scientists recently completely killed that idea and said no actually it helps it's you all made up. it helps you to bend over and put your hands on your knees which naturally you want to do when you're practicing and you're super tired but coaches always made you do that thing where you put your hands on your head actually doesn't help and i think that's all coaches not making you want to look weak by bent over huffing and puffing like, yeah yeah I, I don't want the opponents to see you look like that in the fourth quarter because then they know we got you yeah there's a lot of that too yeah, <laughs> a, lot of that going on. a lot of I mean, and it's 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 tough to be a coach, I think. And, and there's I talked to some friends about this where the this age that you have, you have coaches that are really good. You can learn techniques. My friend who's nearing 40 years old just learned how to shoot a basketball better because he watched some videos on YouTube. And he's like, I never was taught this when I played growing up sure. my shot is so someone's much better right now yeah dude. someone's shoot dad taught me they didn't really know what they're doing and a lot of football coaches i had they're just like well i don't know what to do so i'm just gonna yell louder and see if i can get my team to play better <laughs> right right and i'm not sure hydration was at the top of the list definitely either. not yeah definitely not you're weak if you need water all right let's uh let's move on to this <laughs> twitter thursday uh, i was mailbag, taking a sip of water there as you said that sorry <laughs> it's okay <laughs> we got some questions to get to some good ones we'll hit those next have you heard about Built Bar yet? You should have if you listen to this podcast. Built Bar is a tasty treat. It is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. There is 16 fantastic flavors. There's flavors with nuts, flavors without nuts. If you have a nut-free diet, all covered in 100% chocolate. Built Bar is great for everyone, but especially for those health-conscious folks out there, you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. These bars are low in calories, Low in sugar, but high in protein and high in fiber. I always talk about my favorite flavor, which is the peanut butter flavor. 20 grams of protein in that one. Only 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar. Some flavors, like mint brownie, only 110 calories, 15 grams of protein. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your first order there. Again, promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. We have to start the Twitter portion with this, Matt, and it ties into some of the biggest news going on uh, in the world and the NFL right now. Drew Brees got into some hot water with some other players in the league and some teammates when, uh, during an interview with Yahoo Finance, he said, quote, I will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag being asked about kneeling 
for the flag and, and players protesting police brutality in the NFL and tying into the Colin Kaepernick conversation. And famously, if you remember, the Saints did uh, a locking arms thing instead of a kneeling during the anthem. And he talked about his grandfather's fighting in World War II. And I understand the sentiment. I get where he's coming from. A little bit of a naive take for someone like Drew Brees that I, I'm, I'm surprised he said it. And he got into a lot of trouble, and especially with some teammates. And he quickly, today, this morning on Instagram, apologized for it all. And, and we got numerous questions about this, so I, I wanted to talk about it and get your thoughts, Matt. But here is his apology about it. And at least one teammate, Demario Davis, had come out and said, yeah, see, that's that's leadership right there, realizing you screwed up and coming out and and talking about it. He said, quote, I would like to apologize to my friends, teammates, the city of New Orleans, the black community, NFL community, and anyone I hurt with my comments yesterday in speaking with some of you, it breaks my heart to know I have caused pain. He went on to say that he takes full responsibility and accountability, apologizing for what he said, and he stands with his brothers. So um, to me, just with his initial statements, and, and that's one thing that that drives me crazy about the whole deal is that the idea that kneeling is disrespectful to the flag, period, because that's not what it's supposed to be. Colin Kaepernick has stated that multiple times. And the reason he knelt in the first place is because he got together with Nate Boyer, who was a former Green Beret, and they they came up with a plan. It was like, look, don't sit during the anthem. That is disrespectful. Kneel. This is a sign of respect. Kneel during the national anthem. You get your point across, and you're still respecting the flag. And Colin Kaepernick's take was always that it's not anti-flag. It's pro-flag. It's you want the flag to represent even better things in America. And maybe what America represents isn't as good for some people, and that's what you're trying to bring to light. And Colin Kaepernick was asked by a 49ers beat reporter in 2016 after a game where he stood up for the singing of America the Beautiful, and he that was after he had knelt for the national anthem, and a beat reporter asked him why, and he said, because I love this country. That's why I'm doing this. So that's the point. Like the, the whole idea that kneeling is disrespecting the flag is asinine to begin with. So that's the problem I have with what Drew Brees said, and I think that's why a lot of his teammates were mad about it, and that maybe he was a little bit tone deaf in those comments he made to Yahoo Finance, but... Um, obviously, he talked to some of those teammates, and and it sounds like, I mean, it, it's very, and look, this is what's important, and, and what DeMario Davis said about his leadership is, I think, important, which is probably what we expect from Drew Brees to be like, okay, I am a leader of this team, this is this can't happen, so talk to talk to people, try to learn, and, and, and I think it's going to be a, a rosy picture in the end, and maybe just a, a reminder to people about, yeah, you, I... I get where you're coming from with that. And my grandfather fought in World War II and the Korean conflict as well. And I totally get that part of it. But kneeling all along has been a sign of respect for the flag. It's not disrespectful of the flag. As Aaron Rodgers said, he doesn't want to kneel either. But he's not going to stop anybody else from kneeling. He doesn't think it's bad that anybody else is kneeling. And it's not ever been about that. It's about the issues that they're trying to bring to light. So that's that's basically all I have to say on that. And and if you want to hear more about what we had to say on the whole subject, we talked a lot about it on Tuesday as well. But Matt, do you have anything else to add? I think you said that extremely well, and I'm on board exactly the way you said it. And you would have you expressed that much better than I would have, to be very honest. But to me, I'm just happy, and I hope this is the case that 
24 hours goes by, Drew Brees realized, hey, I was wrong. You know, like like everyone out there, I, I'm, I, I make mistakes. I misinterpreted this situation. I'm not speaking for Drew, but on game day, I think he's a little worried about the, the Chargers cover three than what happens in pregame. You know, like he's got a lot on his plate in terms of preparing for games and breaking down film and leading his team. And again, that, that that's not an excuse. It's none of the above. But the fact is the guy apologized and I think he said I was off the mark. And I thought that was a good way of saying it. Like I, I was kind of talking about a different subject that I didn't quite understand what was going on here. I screwed up and I hope everyone's like, okay, that's cool. I mean, do we still have to hate everyone to no end just because one th- one mistake someone said and right. then they corrected a, a day later? Yeah, and I don't like how crazy everyone jumps on somebody immediately. Right. And but but I do love that and, and a key word he said in his apology was it's important for him and for white folks in general to listen. It's a huge, important that's factor right. yeah, in all of this. Right. And I think that's really important. And I think that's an important step for him to realize and him to convey out there, not only to his teammates, but uh, everybody else that's listening. Yeah. Uh, again, well said. Smart guy. Certainly a leader. I mean, I'm sure his his teammates understand that and people that know him well. I mean, he, imagine what he remember what he did for you know, Katrina in New Orleans and, you know, I don't think his character's in jeopardy. Right. And that's why I talked about the naivete for some people and, you know, heart can be in the right place, but you got to listen first. Listen first. Mm -hmm. Good point. Uh, Let's see here. Let's go to go Pats. He says, Matt, our guy. Yeah. When we see lists of top five or so head coaches in the NFL, NFL history, why is Chuck Knoll rarely included? He led arguably the most talent-laden dynasty in league history, yet we only hear Walsh, Belichick, Lombardi, Brown, etc. Listed in the very top, is Noel historically underrated? Hmm. Uh, maybe I'd rather ask your opinion on that because everyone's just going to assume Williamson's going to say yes. I'm sitting here looking at a picture of my wall signed by Chuck Noel with four Super Bowl trophies. <laughs> so yeah, I might be slightly biased. Um, but the reality is he would not be on my Mount Rushmore. You know, I mean... To me, Belichick, Walsh, Lombardi, Brown are that top four. And Noel would be in the next tier of certainly top 10. A couple little Steeler notes that I know from being here. I mean, like, for example, Chuck Noel was hired off of Shula's staff, but unlike some Belichick disciples, was his own man, didn't try to be Shula. I mean, he immediately came to the Steelers. This is one of my favorite things ever. And one of his first meetings with the Steelers, who were the worst organization like in the history of sports before he got there. And he sat down in the team meeting or stood in front of the team meeting and said, here's the deal. Most of you, and I'm paraphrasing, most of you really aren't good enough at football. So you're not going to be here. That's why you lose, because you're not good players. We're going to get rid of all of you. You stink, you know. <laughs> and, and he did. And two days after he got hired, they 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 drafted Joe Green. Two days later, imagine that. And the rest is history. And the, go look at the Steelers' drafts from Joe Green up until about 78. And you'll understand why they won four and six years. But two other little notes I found interesting about their scouting staff and the team in general during that era And a lot of this goes to Bill Nunn, who was a famous African-American scout way ahead of his time. The Steelers really hit the historically black colleges back then. Stallworth, Shell, Greenwood. There's a long, long list where other teams didn't even go in those buildings. 
and they mined a lot of great talent from those schools where other ones didn't have the 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 perseverance, the open mindedness to do it, and a lot of that came from Noel. And then the other thing is, like, if you look at those Steelers that have four rings, almost every one of them, and obviously this is the times have changed, had two parents. Yeah, we came from two parent families. You know, like so that was something they looked at too that other teams weren't paying attention to. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Trying to build more of a family atmosphere within the locker room, maybe. But yeah, there's multiple things there. You said first of all. The fact that Chuck Knoll's sitting there with four Super Bowl trophies, that says a lot, right, on that. Pretty good. <laughs> on yeah. your wall. Um, and the fact that, as the as Go Pats asked about, is he underrated? And I think he is, because when you factor all those things in, and if I was asked before this question, before I saw this question, who are the best coaches of all time, I would have said, you know, Walsh, Belichick, Lombardi's name is on the stinking trophy. Mm-hmm. And I, I would have said, Noel after those guys, but he belongs in the group. So I think the answer is yes, he probably is underrated. And when you spoke about the drafts, the Steelers have that famous draft, right? Where was it three or four Hall of Famers? I forget which year it was, but uh, Lambert and Mike Webster. Um, Swanee. Yeah, Lynn Swan. Solworth. Okay, yeah, that draft. What what year was that? 75 or something? 74 or 75. I should know that off the top of my head. And I'm almost positive Donnie Shell was a free agent that year, and he's going in this year in the Veterans Committee. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, you know, right. That is crazy. Yeah, so um, dynastic. Not only, and all those, Walsh especially, and, and I think Belichick for a while, but their head coaches that were in charge of everything. They were great as coaches and as on-field generals and, you know, X's and O's, whatever. But they were really good at bringing in talent. And Walsh was one of the best Definitely. and Chuck yeah. Knowles teams as well. So that's another factor to it. And you, when you see dynasties, usually, you know, those Cowboys teams in the 90s, it was the same type of deal. It's like, let's trade Herschel Walker. Let's get a bunch of draft picks in here. And they drafted a ton of Hall of Fame players. That's why they were so good for so long. Mm-hmm. And last note on Noel, I don't want to spend too much time on Steelers stuff, is he was the opposite of a self-promoter, too. I mean, there was no Twitter and stuff like that back then, obviously. But he was he turned down many local commercials, you know, national commercials. I mean, he had just won four Super Bowls in six years, and you didn't see him on TV. I mean, he wanted the players to get those recognitions. Very private guy. You really think of Walsh and Belichick with those teams. You think of the players. I think of all the players yeah. and the immaculate reception, you know, before I think of the coach, which is interesting to your point. Hmm. No, that, that is interesting. Yeah. And uh, I know many people that played under Coach Noel and talk about him a lot. And trust me, he is held in the highest of esteem. He needs a better PR guy. Let's get a new PR guy for uh, Chuck. That's Noel. not his style. Not what he wanted. <laughs> all right. More. Twitter mailbag coming up. We've got some good questions here about our top 100 talk from Wednesday, the New York Giants and the 2018 quarterback class. If you did not hear our conversation with John Ledyard about the top 100 players in the NFL, go back to Wednesday's episode. Uncle Boom has a question about that episode. He says, with Saquon Barkley, the only giant on the list, who's next and whereabouts do they fall? Seems to this big blue fan it could be an awfully large gap. Um, I don't know on their list where the next giant would have landed. I'm trying to look ahead to see, okay, who would be the next giant that's not Saquon Barkley that would land on that list? And I think you would have to go to... Oh, you would have to go to... I'm going with Evan Ingram. Okay. As a guy that could maybe be on the list next year. 
You well, know he, what I mean? Yeah, like, and talent-wise, he absolutely could be there with some of the most athletic right. pass-catching tight ends in the league. And with how small the tight end group is on that list, there was only four. You know, if That's Gronk thought, goes too. back into retirement, I could see Ingram popping up on that list, you know, behind Zach Ertz for sure. Yeah, and maybe ahead of Zach Ertz this time next year. Has to stay healthy, obviously. Um, and my thought process was, you know, in fantasy – I think Engram's being drafted like the fourth or fifth tight end off the board. So there's optimism for production. Um, but it's a big drop. I mean, it's Saquon and then uh, I thought about both guards, Zeitler more than Hernandez. Zeitler's a, a high quality player. Probably he would be the next closest to the to top on 100 as it stands right now. A little bit of a sleeper unknown Last year's first-round pick, Dexter Lawrence, really had a good rookie year. And I know he's kind of a run stuffer, so he's never going to get you know a dozen stacks and all that type of thing. But he's a pretty darn good young player. Yeah, if, if I'm putting money on guys, it'd probably be the most recent draft picks and somebody developing there. Andrew Thomas this year from the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned last year's picks. You know, Obviously, a quarterback, if, if um, Daniel Jones takes that next step, he could one of those guys it might take a few years for that to happen so I wouldn't really put money on that from where my vantage point but it's not impossible that he ends up being one of those guys uh Will Hernandez you mentioned I like that and um of course Dexter Lawrence too so yeah one of those most recent draft picks in the last two drafts I'd say would be the most likely ones probably not going to show up on the top 100 but I think maybe someone who's being slept on is Second year wide receiver, fifth rounder from last year who really burst on the scene for the Giants, Darius Slayton, who might be, he, he might end this year being their number one receiver. He might be. And Shepard and Tate and Ingram are much more slot type guys. Uh, he's the real outside the numbers, you know, true wide receiver type. Certainly a nice find. Um, that doesn't mean they won't use an early pick on a receiver next year, but I think it is telling that they didn't this year. I think that shows a lot of faith in Slayton. And I wonder, I'm just coming up with this idea of thought in my head for tomorrow's show. Are there other teams where the gap between the number one best player and the number two best player are that cavernous? I've given it zero thought. You know, I mean, <laughs> I wonder if there's other teams like that. Oh, I'm trying to think of what teams might have that big of a gap, but right. if, if there are any the the Giants are definitely near the top. Right. Like I'm sitting here thinking the Bears, Khalil Mack to number two, but Allen Robinson was on the list and we had no qualms with that. Yeah. You know, Russell Wilson to the group, but Bobby Wagner's still kind of a stud. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure there's some. Man, I can't think of any right now. Gilmore to the next Patriot? I mean, the McCourty, McCourty's all right. Yeah, he was yeah. on the list, I think. McCourty was but... one of the last, I think, to sneak in that list at safety. Um, that's not a very good roster. Right now, Eddie Jackson also was on the list for the Bears, too. Yeah, good point. Um, good point. I don't know. Maybe somebody can tweet us that and we'll talk about it tomorrow. But. Yeah, maybe we'll think about that harder. That would be a good subject for tomorrow and see if we can find anybody that's got a, a more cavernous drop from one to two than the New York Giants. Yeah, it's a big one. So this question from... Carolina, Zachary. maybe. Oh, from... Okay. KK Short's pretty good. Yeah. Um, DJ Moore. has gone. You know, right. Yeah, Keekley's gone. Um, are we missing? Caffrey's somebody? pretty high up there, though. No, just coming off the yeah, top of my okay. head. I'm I, sure there's I, some more. I don't want to spend too much time dead air just sitting there <laughs> right, thinking about right. it. But yeah, let's let's talk about that tomorrow. Remind me about that one. Uh, I want to finish this up with Zachary, who said, uh, "I'm behind on listening to the podcast, and I was just listening to your episode on 2018 quarterbacks." 
and I was like, wait a second, are you two years behind on podcast, Zachary? But I forgot we had just talked about the 2018 <laughs> class a couple weeks ago, so he's only a couple weeks behind. He said, uh, how successful would these quarterbacks be if the draft in 2018 went? Lamar Jackson to Cleveland, Baker Mayfield to the New York Jets, Darnold to Buffalo, Allen to the Cardinals, and then Rosen to the Baltimore Ravens. He says, I don't think the Ravens would be as dominant as they are, and I don't think Kyler Murray no. becomes a Cardinal. I think those two are absolutely the case. I think he's right on with those last two takes. And definitely the the Baltimore Ravens would not be as dominant. And that, they would just look completely different because the offense would be different. Would they even have the same coordinator? Do you bring in Greg Roman to coach Rosen? And so there's just like, that's just... It couldn't be more different in Baltimore with Rosen in there instead of Lamar Jackson, and they obviously would not be as good. Yeah, and obviously this is a, a hypothetical, fun early June thing to talk about because there's a massive butterfly effect here. You know, would Baltimore have ended up with Kyler Murray? You know, I mean, would, would they have already moved on from right. Rosen and yeah. had you know somebody else, Daniel Jones or Locke or somebody like that? I mean, not been satisfied. Everyone knows my love for Lamar then and now. But I promise you, and this is not me being bashing the Browns, his career would not be going as well if he had been drafted by the Browns. And was that Hugh at the time? I wouldn't have counted on that going so well. Mayfield in the with the Jets and Darnold with Buffalo. I could see... Doesn't change the needle much for me on I that. I don't think either one of those teams would be massively affected. When, thinking about this again now, though, Al, if Josh Allen went to Arizona, Josh Allen wasn't amazing as a rookie. I don't think it's out of the question that they still fire coaching staffs and Cliff Kingsbury comes in, still wants Kyler Murray. That could have still been Josh Allen getting traded could somewhere and Kyler right. Murray still he getting ends drafted. Up on by Miami the and yeah. right. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, that's there. possible. I mean, that's possible. The Jackson yeah. to Cleveland is the one. Like, how different do the Browns look? Does does his potential save anybody? Was his rookie... I mean, Baker Mayfield's rookie season was better than Jackson's because he played more, right? Right, yeah. And it was. I mean, they both basically became starters midway through their rookie year. Um, and Baker had a lot more steam coming out of his rookie year than Lamar. But I think Lamar's the better prospect. Obviously, the Browns disagreed with me, and most people did then. And that's not Basham Baker. And I'm sure Lamar would make a ton of plays as a 24-game starter by this point in orange and brown. Better receivers in Baltimore. Better receivers. The coaching staff is the big one, though, because I think Lamar ended up in the perfect spot with the perfect coaching staff. See, that's the key is no way does Hugh, let alone probably Kitchens, just scrap it all and build it all around that guy. I mean, that's a gutsy, Harbaugh, awesome move that few coaches would have done. Yeah, and none of those teams wanted to do that, which is the reason Jackson slid. And the Ravens sure. were the only team to say, well, let's now, it's too, we, we can't not go get this guy. They had already even drafted a, a tight end, Hayden Hurst, before that in the first round. They said, but let's go get this guy. There's too much talent there. Let's see if we can develop something. All the other teams in the first round were like, yeah, we don't want to change up what we do for this player we want to do what we do and fit up a, a player to that which obviously mm-hmm. looking back probably not the best approach to things probably not probably not but it's a risk and i think a lot of that stems from first of all old school old boy thinking and also most of these coaches don't have any you know job security and even at, at that point which is hard to imagine harbaugh was getting to be on the hot seat too i mean those couple of years of flacco 
weren't settling well. And, you know, they, they had a big contract tied up in Flacco. A lot of their players are walking out the door year after year. And there was talk about Harbaugh not being back until he totally scrapped everything, took a risk, and boom, hit huge. But it's a great exercise in the importance of landing spot. It's so important. Oh, yeah. And Baker Mayfield will benefit if this coaching staff is good, helps him, and is stable because, you know, he's already had multiple coaching staffs, and that's never good for a young quarterback's development. We've seen that with Josh Rosen as well. And maybe Josh Rosen going to Baltimore would have made him a much better player, and it would have hurt some of these other guys to go to a place that had no stability. I'm not making excuses for Rosen, who I liked out of school, but going anywhere besides the worst team in the league with the worst offensive line and then the worst team in the league with the worst offensive line in Miami (laughs) had to do him more favors than what he's got. I mean, that guy's got the short end of the stick. Yeah, absolutely. And he might not have been amazing, but it would have been at least a little bit better. It had to be better. Absolutely. Go anywhere. We're out of time here. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow, taking you through whatever's going on around the National Football League. We'll get into uh, probably some more topics with some of these questions that we did not get to. Apologies if we did not get to your question. But thank you, everybody who gets involved with Twitter Thursday. And we'll talk to you tomorrow right here. Locked on NFL.